Encanto. Have you seen that yet? Of course. I've seen it twice. Oh, I love that vibe. I saw it in theaters. It was great. I saw it after Spider-Man and I saw it on my own TV at home, which is an 80 inch. So I might as well have been in the theater. A subtle flex for you. Robert has a very big TV too. How big is Robert's TV? 20 inches? That's sad. <laughs> he has a big TV. Are you referring to non-TV things? Because no, I'm talking about the TV. <laughs> it's a big TV and it satisfies. <laughs> Real HD color seems to pop out at you, you know? 3D effect. <laughs> 3D TV. Yes. It's like the one that has like the slight curve to it. You know, it's a really good TV. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Young Adult Adult Reviews, where two young-ish adults review books meant for much younger adults. Or children. I'm Chloe. And I'm Honor. And this week we are discussing the Fallen series by Lauren Kate. And if you haven't read it yet, here's the spoiler warning. Content warning for kidnapping in the series. And without further ado, let's get into the summary. Luce Price is sent to reform school after a summer fling of hers has died under mysterious circumstances. He won up in a pillar of flames right in front of her and she had no recollection of how it happened. Her whole life she has seen these shadows that follow her, but she isn't sure what they are. She doesn't need medication because she's not crazy. Her parents ship her off to a reform school called Sword and Cross. There are a cast of zany characters, including Ariane, Luce's loud and carefree guide. Gabby, a kind southern belle that Luce can't stand for some reason. Molly, a mean girl who dumps meatloaf on her head. Hen, a normal girl without a criminal record. Roland, a mysterious boy who runs the black market at Wicked School. Cam, a bad boy with dreamy eyes. And Daniel, a boy that Luce finds herself inexplicably drawn to. In what is maybe the most lenient reform school experience, Luce navigates her time at Sword and Cross with a surprising amount of ease. She sneaks out all the time and has a lot of parties, all the while trying to stalk and gain more info on Daniel Gregory, who is putting off every do not come near me signal in the book. Meanwhile, Cam is trying to romance her away. Danger lurks everywhere at Sword and Cross. Luce and Daniel almost get crushed by a statue, and as the library goes up in flames, Luce finds herself corpse-adjacent once more as her classmate Todd dies. At his funeral at Sword and Cross, Luce and Daniel slip away to a nearby lake. They share a kiss, which surprises Daniel. He thinks that she should be dead, but she's not. Later, when Luce and Penn are stalking Daniel with info in the library, Luce drops the bomb to the friendly librarian, Miss Sophia, that she hasn't been baptized. Something is brewing in the on-campus graveyard. Daniel, Gabby, Ariane, and Cam are entering a conflict with one another, three of them against Cam. Daniel confesses to Luce that he is a fallen angel doomed to fall in love with her again and again and again. Every 17 years, she is reborn to just die as soon as she falls in love with him again. He says he can't explain now, but sends her away with Miss Sophia from the action. It turns out that Miss Sophia ain't so friendly. She kills Penn and tries to sacrifice Luce as a way to end her reincarnation cycle. Because she didn't have a religious upbringing, this is it for her if she dies. Ariane, Gabby, and Daniel save the day and promise to bury Penn next to her father. Daniel whisks Luce away to an island next to Tyvee, promising to explain later. In book two, Luce meets Daniel off a plane to California. She's going to a new school called Shoreline, and this school has Nephilim, children who have immortal blood in their ancestral line. Daniel tells Luce that there is a truce that will last for 18 days between angels like him, Ariane, and Gabby, and demons like Molly, Cam, and Roland. He says he needs to stay away during this time to protect her, and she can't leave campus either. Luce does not give two fucks. She leaves campus like three consecutive days in a row with three attempts on her life in that time. She and her new friends Shelby and Miles learn to control the announcers, the shadow that Luce has seen her whole life. These show important messages that might be useful to the summoner, and they can also be used as a way to fast travel. Luce becomes acutely aware that her families from past lives are still alive and mourning the versions of her that died. She goes to seek them out and gets in trouble. Even though everyone tells her that Daniel and Cam are working together during the truce, Luce doesn't believe it until she sees it in an announcer and promptly has a breakdown. Everyone flies to Luce's house in Georgia for Thanksgiving. Everyone. Every single person that we've met so far. Except Penn, because she died. Oops. Yeah, Penn dead. <laughs> poor, poor Penn. A sect of blind angels known as the outcasts launch a siege on everyone there. They try and take Luce, and Cam fake kills her with a star shot, a blunt arrow that kills angels. It was just her reflection, though. Luce is fed up about not getting answers, so she decides to see for herself. She jumps through an announcer to her past, and everyone chases after her. 
In book three, Luce encounters past iterations of her soul and witnesses her relationships with Daniel throughout the years. She meets a friendly gargoyle guide inside an announcer named Bill. She decides it's a good idea to trust him for some reason. Bill helps Luce go 3D and combine with past versions of herself, and she sees firsthand how painful each of her deaths are to Daniel. She finally understands how deep their love is. Bill tells her that the best way to release herself from the cycle is to kill herself with a star shot. She's about to, but she realizes she could never leave Daniel. Bill loses it, and it turns out he's actually Lucifer evil incarnate. He reveals his evil plot to travel back to the initial angel's fall from heaven and scoop them up in an announcer to take to the present and wipe the slate clean so that Luce will choose him instead of Daniel. In book four, Luce reunites with the crew. They need to collect three heavenly relics from the fall to lead them to the location of the fall so that they can stop it. They do that. Gabby and Molly die in the process. They find the location of the fall is set for Troy, and Luce realizes that she was an angel the whole time. Luce and Lucifer invented love, I guess, and he used it as the reason to rebel against God. However, she fell in love with Daniel instead because their love is more pure. Daniel refused to make a decision when God confronted the angels, so God lost patience and cast everyone out before they even got to make a decision and cursed Daniel and Luce to their eternity of suffering. Luce rejects Lucifer one last time, even though it's so hard for her, and they are all called before God. God is a woman, which I guess is progressive. Cue Ariana Grande. <laughs> God is a woman. Yeah, yeah. Daniel and Luce tell God that they still choose love. God says, okay, but you can't be angels anymore. They say, say less, and once again are cast down to earth one last time, this time as mortals. The story ends as everyone watches down as Daniel and Luce meet at college 17 years later for the first and the last time. The fucking end. Wow. Wow. Bestie, <laughs> what did you think of this? What did I think of this? I'm so glad you asked. Oh my God. Where to even start with this series? <laughs> I think that the best place to start with this series is Luce as a character, you know? Because Luz as a character is probably the dumbest fucking female protagonist I've ever had the displeasure of reading in my entire life. People will tell her the same information seven times and it's not even the bad guys. Like people that she knows and trusts that are on her side will come and tell her certain information. For example, like in book two, when they're like, yeah, Cam and Daniel are working together. Ariane tells her that. Roland tells her that. Daniel tells her that. Cam tells her that. Everyone in her life, good and bad, tells her this, and she doesn't believe it until she sees it. And then after she sees it, she has a full-on mental breakdown, screaming, crying, throwing up. And I think that sums up the type of person that Luce is. And that was just the same thing for four consecutive books. And amazingly enough, the second book was my favorite. Really? Yeah, I hated that one the least, I should say. I feel like that was the one that she was the most dumb in because that was the one they were constantly telling her the same information over and over again. My favorite was every time she left campus, someone told her not to leave campus. And it wasn't until I think after the Vegas trip when her teachers sat her down and were like reaming her out for leaving campus that she was like, well, if you had just said, I wouldn't have. And they're like, you dumbass. No, like one of the teachers (laughs) says like, If we had to be so explicit, you're stupider than we thought you were. Literally. Every time she leaves campus, she has an attempt on her life, like three separate times. And the next day she's like, okay, let's go. Literally. Luz is one of those characters or just people that cannot learn by being told. She has to learn by having it happen to her. You just can't help people like that. They just have to learn from the experience. Even when it did happen to her, she still didn't fucking learn until it happened like three times. Let's go back to how the second book was my least hated, because it was the one that made the most sense in terms of world building. Lauren Kate did this thing where she started a thread and then just abandoned it. Or she started a thread and then she changed it. Or she started a thread and then she retconned it. So little of this series was actually fucking planned out, and it is painfully obvious and poorly but researched. Best, but the best part is when it is planned out, it has been put in so 
clearly throughout the whole story or like just before it actually happens that you know what is coming for example favorite book being the second book they talk about how Luce and Dawn look very similar and then Luce has like a mental breakdown and bleaches all her hair and goes blonde and they comment very specifically during a conversation about how Dawn and Luce don't look the same anymore because Luce dyed her hair blonde and of course we all know that everyone's out to kill Luce so what do we expect to happen to the girl that looks just like our main character? Ah. Pain. Yeah, exactly. And what happens? Exactly that. Who's shocked? That girl gets kidnapped. And our main character is like, oh my God, she looked just like me. That's why she got kidnapped. Okay, but here's but yet, the thing. Uh... <laughs> the main antagonists in the second book were the outcasts, which are these blind angels who don't have their sight, but they have a very honed use of their other four senses. And the reason why Shoreline was so good for Luce was because the other Nephilim kids, their souls burned a different way in a similar way to Luce's. So it worked as a kind of camouflage because outcasts can only see the light of the soul. So they couldn't differentiate Luce between all the other lights of the souls. What would it fucking matter if someone physically looked like her? They couldn't see that. Exactly. It just doesn't make sense on so many levels. I think these books are really fun if you're not looking too hard at what is actually being told within the story if you're just reading it for fun and you're not thinking about it it's not that bad but if you're actually putting together the details you get so mad you know that I have never been (laughs) casual or not cynical about anything a day in my life so this was the worst for me like I was quite literally living my nightmare all the way down to the prose I think the moment that I The straw that broke the camel's back, as it were, was in book three when she used the words more loudly to describe dialogue. And I was like, that's it. That's it. I'm I'm done. I can't. I can't. Louder? We don't know her. We don't know her. We only know more loudly in this household. Adjective, adverb. Not one adjective. What did you think about this series? As someone who read this book back in their teenage years, I loved it. As someone who has just reread the book, I really needed those rose-colored glasses. (laughs) I really did. They're very good if you're thinking about it from like a lovesick, overly romanticized perspective. But if you're actually going to look at the reality of the love between the characters, if you're going to look at the book itself, how it's written, the world building, the details, everything, you're going to be disappointed. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. This is a fluffy, don't pay attention to what's going on behind the curtains kind of a story. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, very good. Loved it. My little overly romantic heart enjoys this book so much, except for book two. I have some choice words about Daniel in that one, but I digress. (laughs) Yeah, the romance wasn't great in book two, but at least the world that they were starting to build made sense. And then they fucked it all over. Let's talk about Daniel and Luz since we're on the topic of romance. Mm -hmm. And let's discussed from their first meetup kind of through the books I think personally that this is one of the best meetups between two characters that I have read in a long long time and I will say because it's so funny to me right because you know me I am very much an overly romantic person like I just have so much ideas of romance in my head that it's not realistic to the scenario that I'm in (laughs) Mm -hmm. I will make up my own romance scenes and just be enthralled with what's going on. And that is very much what Luce is like, okay? Mm -hmm. Luce sees Daniel in the courtyard, never met this boy in her life, and she's instantly, like, just rose-colored glasses, super in love. She's like, he's the most beautiful boy I've ever seen in my life. And the way he laughs is just so amazing and... He's so carefree and wow, what it must be like to be him or be with him and all of that. And you see Daniel look over at her and he gives her this smile and you're like, oh my God, this is going to be like the best meetup of two characters you've ever read in your life. And then reality sets in and he flips her off and it's fucking hilarious. (laughs) And she's like, wait, what? I could just picture her blinking and being taken out of that. The record scratch. Yeah, the record scratch. It's just so funny. What Mm -hmm. did you think of that meetup? 
First of all, if that happened to me in real life, I'd be like, fuck you then. And I'd never talk to them again. But because we're in YA land, the first book was bad, mm. but at least it was laughably bad. Yes. I would go as far to describe the first book as camp. I was cackling my ass off reading the first book when Cam like pulls out the guitar pick emblazoned with his room number and he's like, come see me in my room. And I'm like, how did he have these made before he got into reform school? How did he know where he was going to be staying? How many of these guitar picks does he have? I was dying laughing, trying to process everything that was happening. Not to mention Penn, who's considered the only normal kid without a criminal record, who goes to Sword and Cross because her dad is buried in the cemetery there as the former groundskeeper and because it's free. And she's like, I hate it here. And it's like, then go to public school. Like, it's not free. Right? Going back to what you said about Daniel and Luce and the fact that any normal person would just be, like, really offended, that is what a normal person would do. But, of course, our main character, Luce, is not a normal person. We've learned this. She Uh, is not like other girls, (laughs) which is why she hates Gabby, because she's feminine and pink. No, really, okay? Because she's so overly jealous about Gabby and can't admit that. No, literally, like Gabby came into the restroom and was like, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Do you need like shampoo or something to get the meatloaf out of your hair? And Luce was like, leave me alone. And she was like, that bitch, she's probably laughing at me. And it's like, she was nothing but kind to you. Right? Are you talking? Is it because she wears pink? It, it was because she wears pink. <laughs> it was. It wasn't until that Daniel was more very obviously into Luce that Luce decided that she was okay with Gabby. Because even after Daniel said Gabby and I are dating, she still hated Gabby for a while, mm-hmm. which is frustrating. But That goes back to the topic that I was talking about, which is there are so many instances where Daniel and Luz have like a little moment together and Daniel is very clearly standoffish. Like, I'm not interested. Leave me alone. You are very stalker. And she is all in her head being overly romantic about the situation and going, oh my God, he's so amazing. She's so invested in her own feelings that she's not facing reality of what's going on. And she is writing off her experiences (laughs) with what actually happened with what she's envisioning from her own feelings in her mind. And (laughs) the worst part about it was when she stops and she writes down every encounter she's had with Daniel. Overanalyzing it. <laughs> Overanalyzing it. And it's very clearly like written out on paper like this boy is not interested in you. He does not like you. Leave him alone. And she's like, this isn't that bad. Like, this is amazing. Like, we had really good encounters. I was like, where are you seeing that? She's like, accuse me of stalking him on the 19th. On the 21st, brushed my hand after we got trapped under the statue together. But he could just be trying to get up. She like was rationalizing it to herself. But on the flip side, I would argue that's very realistic as a teenage girl because God knows I did that shit in high school. Was it embarrassing? Yes, it was. Did I do it anyway? Yes, I did. I feel like it's much more realistic for middle school than for high school. But yes, you are right. Because her... Because high schoolers are more willing to accept the reality of the situation. Like if they were called a stalker, if they were being flipped off, they would just be like aggressive back versus Mm -hmm. middle schoolers would be like, oh my God, he threw a rock at me. He loves me. And then we have the second book, right? Where... Daniel and Luce have finally gotten together. Luce isn't dying anymore. And we're like, okay, this is where the real romance starts. We're going to see the true love between these characters that has been written across thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, et cetera, years. Well, not that many, because according to Lauren Kate, they've only (laughs) been doing this for 7,000 years, which goes along with the fundamentalist idea that the earth is only 6,000 years old. So- We will get into world building later. (laughs) I I have time written out for you, Bessie. Oh boy. (laughs) Anyway, so then instead of getting those perfect romantic moments between these characters, all we see is miscommunication. Daniel basically saying that she's stupid and making bad decisions and also getting mad that she changed her hair. Oh my God. What? And then literally at the end of the book, he goes, changing your hair was probably the smartest thing you could have done. But in the moment, he's like, this isn't you, Luce. But then at the same time, his whole thing is like, I would never eclipse your desires with my own. And it's like, first of all, why'd you say it like that? Second of all, yes, you fucking do. 
there's so many problematic moments with their relationship in book two that even Luce wasn't feeling like they were in love. Mm-hmm. So much so that when another guy kissed her and she saw Daniel on the roof, she didn't actually go to explain herself. Well, the thing is, she was kind of into it too. She was like, I like Miles. He's actually nice to me. Daniel isn't nice to me, but Miles is. Which is brutal when you're supposed to have this built-in true love story that's been going on for every past life that you've ever had. And all of a sudden it's not that. Which brings me to book three, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where the entire plot of book three is basically Luce trying to understand what kind of a love they have, which wouldn't need to have happened had Daniel actually treated her nicely in book two. Or with respect enough to tell her what the fuck was going on. It's not that hard to communicate, but he's all like, oh my god, she's gonna burst into a pillar of flames. And it's like, okay, well, if telling her is going to be a problem and she needs to find it out, give her ways to solve it. Not that she'd be smart enough to. Well, that's her own problem. She literally had to regress into past (laughs) lives to figure it out. We can't help her in every situation. We can't help her in any situation, let's be real. Literally not until it's spelled out for her or after the fact does she get information. So she goes through all these past lives. You actually do see kind of the romance that they have with each other and where it stems from and how beautiful it can be. And she kind of learns as she goes along. But the thing that interests me is she sees that in every lifetime, Daniel is putting forth effort to have her fall in love with him, even though it's already a guaranteed because of all of the regenerations and everything. And her soul just is connected to his soul. Mm -hmm. So why is it? That he has not put any effort into this life. No, literally. And he tries to play it off. It's just another one of the world building inconsistencies that shows the clear lack of planning and forethought that went into this series. Because then Daniel goes back and he's like, I wanted you to stay away from me because I was sure you'd burst into flames and it would just be too painful for me to watch. Why now? Why not in the 90s? Why not in the 70s? Why not in the 1950s? You know, and he kind of plays it off as like, oh, they were less cynical than me. And boy, then why the fuck are you at Sword and Cross in the first place? Leave, leave. (laughs) It's not that hard. If it is so painful for you to be around this girl lest she burst into flames, never go around her. Maybe that's a fucking thought for the books. If you love something, let it go, Daniel. His whole thing is that they will meet whether he's trying to find her or not. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he could just avoid it like that. He could still just not kiss her. That's, yes, but she dies even when not kissed because it's, as they explained later, it's the moments that she remembers the choice. Mm-hmm. That and the truth about make. her identity. Yeah, that's when she burst into flame, which let's be real, doesn't fully make sense, but okay. Second of all, how's she getting out of for- they- reform school? Just go to <laughs> fucking, I don't know, 30 minutes upstate. It's not that hard. Anyway, moving on. So that's my issues with their love story. I do admit they get along better later as they go on but it's very clear that if they don't have that physical touch connection that they have a lot of issues so anytime that daniel's hands are not on loose she is questioning their love and devotion for each other and i think that is a major fucking red flag yes i agree because literally like when she's diving for the halo in book four or whatever uh he just like leaves her and goes to the surface and she's like what the fuck i almost drowned he's like give me that and he takes the halo from her and he's like stay back and he doesn't explain a single goddamn thing which shows also a clear lack of respect for her because that situation at hand had nothing to do with her bursting into flames mm-hmm. he could no, just been like <laughs> every instance of like respect that he has for her was all her past lives <laughs> mm-hmm. yikes even the one where she was a bitch <laughs> right what was with that whatever i know it's right fine. it's fine <laughs> I just feel like anyone that blindly believes that this is a true love story just from reading it should really think about what they believe in as love because Mm -hmm. in reality this isn't a good love story. This is a terrible love story. This is a blind faith love story that basically states that unless your love is built into the foundation of who you are with that other person that you're not going to be able to understand or find it Mm -hmm. which is so sad and that you should have better standards for yourself and that is something that YA novels tend to do a lot especially in the romance genre it's very much like oh we love each other so much and the power of our love can conquer all and it's like how did you love each other so much how did that come to be what did they do to make you feel good are they nice to you and that's something that a lot of YA novels overlook being nice just in favor of like our love can conquer everything mm-hmm 
which is do, not great for developing minds. Yeah. Are they considerate of you? Do they communicate with you? All mm-hmm. these things. Like that was part of the reason that Divergent didn't work out very well because Tris and Four didn't communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Daniel and Luce don't communicate with each other. Exactly. And I think another problem that this book series has with love is that it can't really get the message that it's trying to say about love straight. What's the message? Is it that love conquers all? Not really. Is it that love is eternal? Not really. It's just like this theme that's so nebulous and never really expounded upon in a material way. Because then they also try and throw in Lucifer at the end of book four, 50 pages to the end. And Luce has to tell him that she doesn't love him anymore. And she's like, this is so hard. And it's like, you've remembered that you've loved him for like two pages. We as the readers don't have a chance to understand how difficult that is for you. And also, what the fuck? Also, if he loved you that much and he was trying to get you to literally kill yourself, maybe you should realize that that's not a good love story for yourself. You should not be questioning that. That is a straight up no. Raising your standards. (laughs) But I will say, I think her conversation with Lucifer when they were falling or whatever was my favorite part of book four because he was so funny. He was like, I can't believe I lost a girl to another guy, even though I have a decent job and everything. I was like, at least the devil has a job. Get with the program. (laughs) At least he contributes to society. (laughs) I was dying laughing. And then God came in like a wet blanket and put an end to all that. I'm like, ah, boo tomatoes right let him speak i was laughing at that i'm gonna be honest lucifer was kind of one of the better characters of this whole series because even as the gargoyle i loved him oh my god the fact that luz trusted him for even one second he transformed into daniel and freaked her out and he was like yes this is what i want and she's like stop and he's like okay whatever i'll transform back into a gargoyle but even that wasn't consistent because he was like, I'm going to bring you back through time and show you how much Daniel loved you. And every time she was like, I learned this about Daniel. He's like, good, you're learning. And then at the end, he was like, fuck you. Like, all you want is Daniel, 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 not me. (laughs) And it's like, you were encouraging this throughout most of the book. If you wanted her to see the bad sides of Daniel, take her to see the bad sides of their relationships. No, right? Like, he was not. Take her back to the moment where he said, why the fuck did you dye your hair blonde? (laughs) Where's the announcer to that moment specifically? (laughs) Not to mention, while we're on the topic of the third book, Lauren Kate cannot fucking get a handle on how she wants her time shenanigans to go. Are we doing butterfly effect rules or are we doing back to the future rules? And by that, I mean, if you do something in the past, is it always that way set in stone? Or if you do something in the past, will it change the future with ripple effects? Because she flip flops between the two. One second, it's Don't touch anything in the past. If you change anything too poorly, it could have disastrous repercussions for the futures. Back to the future rules. But then in the next second, Daniel's like, oh, I can like kind of remember this stuff happening, which is butterfly effect rules. Right. I think she went more butterfly effect because her her whole thing was anything that changed changes the future. But because it has changed the future, you remember that version. So you're not going to know that you've changed the future because that has become your future. Does that make sense? Yes. Also, to clarify, when I say butterfly effect rules, I mean butterfly effect the movie, not like the thing as a butterfly effect, because of course that would be closer to Back to the Future rules for time travel shenanigans, as it were. It's not that she would recognize the difference when she went back. It's that it changed already. And so they remember it because they just changed it and it happened. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Which doesn't make that much sense when you're reading through it but also it does <laughs> also oh, right. the one that got me because he started to pick it out and I was like hey wait a minute so we're told in book one that it's every 17 years that they meet up again mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we start going through the timeline of book three and that doesn't add up and she adds like little lines in to try to make it seem better so mm-hmm. like you you are told later that oh, it can take like anywhere from literal seconds and minutes to years before her next reincarnation happens. And then you pointed out that the timeline doesn't match up for some of the years, which I think is explained if we figure in the fact that there's a couple years in between when she's actually like reincarnated again, which was in, I think the second life Luke's goes back to and revisits, or is it the third? The event that you're referring to is in the first book, 
Daniel lists off all these scenarios of lives that they've shared together. And one of them was when you were the Italian nurse in Milan for me during the First World War. And of course, in book three, with Luce going back and visiting all of her lives, she has to revisit this event. But the thing is, World War I ended in 1918. And the life after that happened in 1941, which means that subtract 17 years, it would have been 1924 when she died and got reincarnated, even though it can take weeks to years for Luce's soul to find a new body to reincarnate into. The fact still stands. If you do the math in 1918, she would have been 11 if she died at 17 in 1924, because that was another rule. She'd never lives past 17. But even with the, oh, it can take some time, she'd only be younger. Brutal. And she's described as 13 during that time. I don't remember that. I really don't. I went back to try and find it and I gave up. Because I just remember her as being described too young to start a relationship with. And I was like, Daniel, you're on thin fucking ice. So Lou stared at the girl, blah, 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 blah. She couldn't have been older than 13. But that doesn't mean that she is 13. That's worse. Isn't that worse? Anyway... At least Daniel had the nice thought of saying that while he did not discourage her romantic endeavors with him, he also did not acknowledge or push them to happen. So, ew, but slightly less bad, ew. Still, Mm -hmm. ew. (laughs) That's just another point to add to the idea that this series was not well planned out and it was not well researched. Also, the thing that gets me is there was one point where he said he was in... He was in the Bastille in France. Thank you, yeah. And he was in the cell. And he comes out to find his past self there. And they're, like, discussing things. His past self is bemoaning the fact that she's passed away already. She just died. And he's like, well, can't you feel she's still here? She is already reincarnated. In conception is what he said. And I was like... (laughs) Yeah, in when you feel the nut enter the egg. <laughs> ew. ew, ew. But anyway, he could feel that she was already in conception. So does that mean he can just feel that she's alive, or does it mean that he can feel where she is because he used to like hunt her out? You like, heard it hunt- here first, folks. Life begins <laughs> in the egg, Lauren Cade. If he could use that to hunt her down, right? How can he not actually avoid her? Exactly. In the, in the times that he wants to avoid her, like if he can tell where she is. Or that she's alive. Where's the line here? Does he know that she's just alive and in conception and just knows the stages of her life from that point? Or does he know where she is? I need information. Where was this? The fact of the matter is there is no line. Exactly. Just brings us to all the retconned information and just problems of this book that were not followed through. I would like to talk about not so much a world building error, but Assumptions that Lauren Kate makes that are laughably bad, especially concerning the parties that she thinks teenagers throw. (laughs) Music choices. It's all the blues. This is is 2009. 2009. (laughs) Where's Britney? Where's Kanye? Where's Where's Dynamite? Featuring Tayo Crew. Where is Teenage Dream? Where is Kesha? I feel like Lauren Kate's perception of like teenager parties is what adults assume their teenagers to be doing or what middle schoolers assume teenagers to be doing. Because she was talking about how there was a disco ball and everyone was singing karaoke and there was champagne. And it's like- Also the fact that they had champagne for their choice of alcohol. Where are the natty lights? (laughs) Like the black light I'd buy in like a teenage boy's room, but a disco ball for a party? Can you imagine when we were RAs, if we walked upon this party? I would laugh. I would be like, where's the juice box? No, and then they're like, so-and-so was DJing from their iPhone shouting holla. And it's like, what? And that was in 2026 in the epilogue of book four. That kills me. It was killing me. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Can we schedule a party in 2026 where we DJ off an iPod and shout holla, please? I'm there. I'm already there. Get this on the calendar. RSVP'd. (laughs) And the fact that Roland's like the only black character and she always describes him as soulful in singing the blues. That's racially motivated. There's a lot of things in this book that are problematic, including the fact that she makes medicine out to be a bad thing. Yeah. And Fallen is not the only series guilty of this. Let me just put that out there. But there is the almost demonization of mental illness and furthermore medicating for mental illness. That was very prolific in media 
in 2010s, early thousands, where it's a thing where it's like, it's, I'm not crazy. I don't need these pills. And multiple times Lutz refers to medication as horrible pills or other just like very negatively associated words. And I think that is problematic in that it creates this narrative that being mentally ill is bad. And furthermore, needing to medicate for mental illness that is bad enough is even worse. And I think that narrative really pushed a lot of people away and not falling because of course I didn't read this in my youth, but that narrative was so prolific in media that it impacted me when seeking medication for my mental illness. Pushing that narrative that mental illness is bad and medicating for it is even worse, that is very harmful to adolescents in particular and discourages them from becoming functional adults because of the fear of being perceived as crazy. I know in Lucy's case, when she described them as horrible, I think she was referring to the way that they made her feel, which is a good thing to acknowledge because if you're not on right medication, it's going to make you feel horrible. And those are things that need to be addressed. And she didn't address them with any of her doctors. She just straight up started lying about everything that she was going through and lying that she was better so that she didn't have to take them just so that she could feel normal. Just so she can feel like she's not being ousted by society. Yes. And it's like, if you're saying that you're not, you know, mentally ill or stuff like that, but you're still seeing these things that other people, A, can't see, B, that are scaring you. Like every time you see it, it's terrifying you. It's changing the way that you live your life because you're not going into areas that you see these like shadows and things. Mm-hmm. And it's affecting you that much, but you're not going to get help for yourself just because you're not going to accept the fact that you have an issue. Like it's okay to have these issues and to ask for help or medication that could maybe help fix that for mm-hmm. you. It's different if it's something that doesn't affect your life or doesn't cause literal fear for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, but she had that reaction. So it's like, why are you trying to run away from help in this way? Exactly. And that's, yeah. it's such a bad narrative to kind of force upon readers. Especially young readers, because they internalize that shit. They do. Yep. Speaking of bad narratives and things we talked about earlier, let's talk about Penn. Let's talk about Penn. <laughs> let's talk about Penn. We already discussed her choice of schools, which is the whole reason she was at Sword and Cross was because her dad was the groundskeeper and so she was allowed to go to the school for free so that was the reason she stayed but public school wasn't an option for her what's with that no right and she acknowledges that she hates the school but then she further tries to justify it by saying I can't leave my dad is here and it's like I don't know live your life not being next to the corpse of your dead father 24 7 just a thought Yeah, that's brutal. Also, she had no friends up until Luce came because she talked about that. She didn't really like the other kids. She didn't get along with them. Because Um, she was the only quote-unquote normal one committing FERPA violations on the daily. (laughs) Dude, she committed so many violations. And she was so happy to do it, too. She was like, oh, my God, Luce, uh, do you want to go figure out all the information about your boyfriend who literally wants nothing to do with you and is calling you a stalker? Why don't we actually stalk him? Let's stalk (laughs) him by looking through. That's brilliant. Let's stalk him by looking through files that are literally protected by federal education laws. (laughs) She literally greets Luce by talking about things in her file. And Luce is just like, this is normal. This is acceptable. I'd feel violated as hell. I'd be like, bitch, did you not go through FERPA training? Right? (laughs) Which, first of all, she would have had to because everyone who works in an educational setting in that capacity needs to complete FERPA training. And we would know. We We would fucking know. No, Uh, because she was an official assistant to the people that worked there. And the only reason they chose her to help as an assistant, which this part kills me, is because she was the only quote-unquote normal kid at the school. She was the only non-reformed kid at the school. mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, she's not going to take advantage of having access to these files and she is the one person that took advantage of having access to those files mm-hmm. and she's just like this is chill I'm wondering though about the whole free school thing did the administrators lie to her that public school was not free just so that she would stay there and be their assistant oh my god I was wondering <laughs> that because <laughs> if her dad was the groundskeeper and she's always gone there just to like hitch a ride with her dad to work she's probably never known anything else but then again sword and cross is only high school so what did she do k through eight right 
and I thought they live on the grounds. I could be very wrong about that, but I thought that was just like her home. Area. I have we no never idea. See her room or where she lives. Is she okay? <laughs> She's not a very well developed character, much like the rest of the story. Isn't. Which leads me into my next topic. There are, especially the very first book, there are so many characters that are written just to further the main character's narrative <laughs> rather than to be their own characters. And it Todd. gets better. Literally Todd. <laughs> literally Todd. It gets better as the series goes on. But the first book, it's the most obvious where Callie, Penn, Todd, Trevor, I think was his name. Oh my God. Do we ever even find <laughs> out why Trevor burned up after Luce kissed him? No. We don't. We There's no in-world reason. We found out about the library, like uh, Miss Sophia set fire to the library, but we never found out about Trevor. Todd only existed, I swear to God, so that Daniel and Luce could kiss at his funeral. Yeah. Well, I yeah. Also to give Luce trauma. Oh, no. A trauma. To give Luce a, a trauma. trauma. <laughs> because that's how they referred to it in the book. Gabby was like, Luce had just been through a trauma. <laughs> Don't roast me. Don't roast my accent. I will say, though, because I know you didn't get a chance to watch the movie, but I did watch the movie for The Fallen. Mm-hmm. And while it basically does not follow the book at all, I think it actually fixes a lot of problems and plot holes that the book has. I appreciate that. Talk to me about the movie. I will say it. Okay, so about the movie. So first of all, they have better rounded characters and more realistic parties. Okay, they have bonfires with like actual drinks and stuff like out in the woods away from the actual like literal dorm rooms no they were like turning off cameras <laughs> and like covering them with tape and i was like no one is finding the suspicious in the reform right? school they're the most lenient reform school they're and like they're not like hmm the like camera in hall e is dead let's go check on that <laughs> literally no one at that school cared they did not give a fuck about these reform kids mm-hmm. anyway so in the movie Todd and Penn actually have like a little love story that's like a real love story not just like oh you have a crush on him that which is Penn, what the book tried to do yeah which Penn literally gave no indication of until right before Todd died literally as um, as this book also we never see the aftermath of how Penn felt about Todd dying so brutal you can't just bring up the fact that she had a crush on him and then we only care about how it affected Luz mm-hmm like seriously anyway so in the movie they have like a crush and Todd's like actually helping them with like research and stuff to find the background information on Daniel which is kind of cute they're like co-conspirators you know anyways Todd dies Penn is all upset and angry and stuff it was an appropriate reaction and Penn was such a really good well-rounded character and Todd actually had some character to him other than being just awkward and to the sideline until he needed to die Mm -hmm. They also had it so that Miss Sophia was the one who caused the fire for Trevor as well. So because she was trying to kill Luce, she had already found out that information about Luce not being baptized and all of that. See, that makes so much more sense. Right? Right? God damn it. It makes sense. Also, the um, death scene for Penn in the movie, I say, is arguably better than the death scene for Penn in the book. Also, Luce actually has a real traumatic response to it compared mm-hmm. to the two seconds she gets to go, oh, Pen, and then she gets dragged away and doesn't really think about it anymore mm-hmm. until it's integral to the part of her being a sad, woe is me character. <laughs> <laughs> she does every time that Luce in the books needs to feel like a sad, woe is me character. She goes back to the how this is how their deaths affected me and how I'm such a horrible person because blah, 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 blah. We get mm-hmm. it, okay? Like, right. Let's be more realistic here, girl. Mm-hmm. Like, pick up, move on. Let's do something here. I digress. I like the movie. I am mad, though. They took out the meeting of Daniel and Luce in the courtyard, which I think is just frankly rude. Mm-hmm. But they wanted it to be like a more realistic kind of love moment, I guess. So we see them meet during the scene where she goes into the library and he's like fallen asleep in the chair and the like light is shining on him so beautiful. And he's like lit up kind of like angelically, you know? Mm-hmm. Like he genuinely looks like the most beautiful person you've ever seen in your life. And she's Love like, that. wow. And I'm like, oh my God, it makes sense that she would be like, he's the most beautiful person I've ever seen in my life in that moment, you know? And then he wakes up and he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, (laughs) kind of thing. And it's fun, but it's not the same. I will say, while the movie is not the book, they're not the same thing at all. Same characters, Mm -hmm. not the same 
same boat i will say i love and appreciate the movie because it was my first interaction with this story and it got me into the books and you know now i have a good story that i enjoy for moments where i don't want to think about it i love that so if you think about it we know what happens (laughs) i will say even though you said that the movie is nothing like the book and it holds up better because of that i believe if i can just like summarize what you said yes is that fair to say? There are moments of clarity that the storytelling in the series has. And one moment that was just like really solid world building was the origin of the star shots. And the origin of the star shots goes, the fallen angel Azazel turned to star shots after he was cast out from heaven as a way to kill his own kind and kind of cull out the masses that God cast down. And, and no one expected him to do it. And I read that sentence and I was like, whoa, because that information came in at the beginning of book two. And then they didn't really talk about it again until book three. And Mm -hmm. I was just kind of like, why can't all of the book sound like this? Because while research and lack thereof was one of my biggest qualms with the series, that wasn't necessarily biblically accurate, but I think it was a really cool extrapolation to make given the information that you can take from the Bible. And I just wish there was more shit like that in the series because that would have made it for me if the world building was all as good as that but it was just like one sentence that they drew upon twice in what was it like 2,000 pages I believe each each of these books was about 450 pages so a little less than 2,000 yeah (laughs) Jesus Christ um (laughs) but then when she tries to do that with like something that's really cool it just comes across as fucking stupid like saying that aspartame was a chemical invented by the gods put into diet sodas so that you can stick a star shot in there, <laughs> drink it, and it'll heal you. What the fuck was that? She was literally going, F it, this will have to do. She's like, I need healing. <laughs> Good enough. Who was her copy editor? I'd like to talk. I don't know. I did think it was interesting the moments that like Luce can draw upon her past selves. Like, can we talk about the inaccuracy of that? It's like literally only the moments where it's like so desperately needed that she's like, oh my God, I remember all these amazing things. Oh my God, something's like, coming you to can't, me. You can't, you can't remember how to like be a nurse and like heal someone in a moment that you're in a past life. Like what? But you can remember how to speak perfect Italian. Yeah, what is with that? <laughs> Absolute cherry picking of the rules of this world. It's, it's infuriating. It's infuriating. There's so much cherry picking. Is it time for final ratings? I think so. Would you like to go first and do the honors? Oh my gosh. Thank you for asking. Of course I would. I am going to rate this book series four stars. Yeah. Wow. What? Nobody saw that coming. I definitely would have rated this higher in the past on my first read through. But Mm -hmm. I think coming back and as much as I love the story with my rose colored glasses on. In reality, there's a lot of problems with this book series. So true, Bestie. There's, there's just so much. The biggest thing for me is the fact that we're told that this is like true love through the ages. And almost every interaction we see from them is not any instance of like love or care or respect or anything between the two of them. There's no communication. There's nothing there. And that just annoys the hell out of me unintended <laughs> so true <laughs> so four stars um it's enjoyable I will reread it again at some point in my life it's inevitably fun. inevitably I do think it is so funny the way they meet though so bonus points just for that scene that's a whole star right there <laughs> that's a whole star right there <laughs> personally I would recommend this to anyone that just loves star-crossed lover vibes love at first sight but who also understands the reality of life and relationships so i like that your turn <laughs> i would rate this series as a whole two stars you had struggled with this one i believe i make my reasoning why uh why the rating is so low pretty clear in the preceding episode and if it's not clear maybe you should listen again uh, <laughs> Where it gains points for me. Some of the characters are funny as hell. Cam, funny as hell. Some of the details were funny as hell. For example, I didn't talk about this, but I really did love it. Luce and Cam have a picnic in the cemetery in the first book, and they're eating deviled eggs and apples. And I was losing my fucking mind. 
I was laughing so hard. It was so camp. If I had to rate each book individually, in order, it would be as follows. First book, two stars. Second book, three stars. Third book, one star, because it was the same thing happening 15 different times and loose learning the same thing every single time. I hated it. It was so fucking repetitive. I got to the point where I was just skimming the chapters and I was like, she's a human sacrifice. Got it. Next. She's a (laughs) fucking servant in ancient Egypt. Got it. Next. I did not give a fuck. She was learning the same thing every single time. I was like, this is the moment that they're realizing actual good parts of their relationships (laughs) because there's none in real life. And it was the same good moment. It was the same greatest hit played in 15 different languages. But it was in pretty different wrapping paper. And then the fourth book, I would rate two stars. (laughs) I like the third book the best because I thought it was actually like trying to create threads, which were then promptly dropped in the third and the fourth books. And also at the end of the second book, which is why it's not getting a rating higher than three stars. I would recommend this to people who are in the mood for a good laugh because the first two books are like laughably bad. And the second two, you can't even laugh at them though. So I would just say like, if you're in the mood to like for a good chuckle, I'd read, read the, the first book. Read the first two and then listen to our summary. <laughs> yeah. Finish uh, it out. That's my take on Fallen. I love that. I forgot to ask this before you do recommendations. Um, who do you prefer Loose with? Loose with Cam? Loose with Daniel? Loose with Lucifer? I prefer her with Miles because uh, he was the only one that was nice to her. Loose with Miles. No, that's vibes. Okay. I guess we're ready for outros then, Bestie. We upload our episodes bi-weekly. For those that do not know, that is every other week, not twice a week. That is too much reading. We do have an Instagram, a TikTok, and a YouTube, all at the handle at Young Adult Adult Reviews. Give us a like and a follow there if you'd like. You can also drop suggestions, whether that is on any of our other social media channels or on Spotify itself. Let us know what you want us to read. This episode was a suggestion from our good dear friend, Izzy Walker. Izzy, I'm so sorry I massacred your favorite series. (laughs) Yeah, she was kind of brutal. She was worse on the text messages, Izzy. I did. (laughs) I did tone it down for you. Working hard to please you. (laughs) I think this is a great suggestion. I know you personally did not enjoy it. And that is okay. You know, you're not going to win them all. But we are very excited to read some more suggestions that you guys have. We've got another one, another two, I think, lined up. Next week's is also a suggestion as as well as the week after. So if you want to keep having us read the books you want to hear about, let us know. There you have it, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. And that is a wrap. I was really worried that wasn't going to be good. I feel like it wasn't. It was the flop. No, it was good. <laughs>